Thank you for joining us for this episode. Today, we're joined by Dr. Cecilia Ketting, and we're going to be speaking about ocular tumors and what to do with them on the OI show. Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode. We are here with uh, Cecilia Ketting, and we're going to be speaking about some things with regards to tumors and how we deal with that. Uh, so, but first you've got some interesting news for those people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about you, a little of your background and the exciting changes going on in your life right now. Yeah. Thanks Dave. Um, yes, lots of changes in the last couple of years. So, um, I'm Cecilia Ketting. For those of you who don't know me, I was practicing in Virginia beach, uh, Virginia, Virginia, I consultants with Walt Whitley for about eight, 10 years or so um, until more recently. And there was a fantastic site, multi-specialty referral center. So lots of surgery, lots of uh, tumors, masses, lesions, as we'll talk about. And uh, more recently, I have moved to Denver, Colorado. And even more recently in the last uh, month, I joined University of Colorado Medical School. So I'm actually working in their ophthalmology department. So I'm really excited about that transition. It's been pretty great so far. So that is awesome. Now I see you uh, posting pictures in airplanes a lot about all the places that you are going, the uh, many places that you'll go. And so you do a lot of lecturing. What are some things that you frequently talk about in your, in your lectures and in your writing? Yeah. So um, you're right. Yes. I have been flying a lot. I've gotten to be home the last couple of weeks though, which is nice. Um, and the lecturing, writing, everything, uh, as all of us as optometrists, we kind of have multiple hats, right? We don't ever do just one thing. And my typical go-to hats are a lot of um, corneal disease and ocular surface disease, uh, co-management as far as uh, surgical co-management, um, whether it be corneal or cataract or refractive. And then also, as we're going to be talking about today, actually do quite a bit of neuro-ophthalmology um, starting back probably I think probably 10 years ago at this point. Um, and that's that's a little bit of a different, different hat there, I know. Yeah, that's a, you know, <clears throat> I think we all get really nervous when we start talking about neuro. Right. Um, I remember Dr. Cool. He was my professor in neuro. Dr. Cool. A very cool name. And um, man, you know, that guy was just so smart. And this neuro stuff is just so advanced. When we graduate optometry school, I think most of us have a have a relatively basic understanding of the brain. I think that's the reality of everybody uh in in medicine. Um Let's start off with this question is, how did you go about learning so much about neuro to the place where you feel comfortable sharing about all these diseases and so forth? Was it something in in residency or did you like dig in and do a whole lot of research? Like where did you like up your game in neuro? Yeah, that's a that's a really fair question because um, it, it is pretty random. Uh, about 10 years ago at the practice in Virginia, um, I was asked by the um, CEO, the CFO, uh, as well as the um, current oculoplastic specialist who's there, uh, Tom Jolie, who's actually neurotrained. And so okay. he was functioning as kind of a neuro-ophthalmologist in our practice and in the area, because just like everywhere else, there's really not a lot of true neuro-ophthalmologists out there and getting them in can take months. I mean, six months 
in these patients where this is something really serious that needs to be dealt with now in a lot of these time, in a lot of these cases. And so it was kind of born out of necessity. They asked, they said, Hey, uh, Dr. Jolie needs some help. He needs to be doing more plastics and less neuro. Would you by chance be open to being a, uh, extender and helping him? And I went, Oh, that sounds awful. That's inside my head. Of course. I didn't say that, mm-hmm. but I tend to say to myself when I don't feel comfortable, especially in our profession, I need to make myself comfortable. That's not a good position to be. And I, and I think I need to work to get to the point where I know what I'm doing. So I said, yes. And so then I started shadowing him for a few weeks and delving into the research. Really a lot of, a lot of it was just getting them in my chair and then going, okay, let's think through this and finding a way to break it down so that it's not so much. And that's kind of what I try to do in my courses. When I talk about this is break it down into adjustable bits of, okay, instead of looking at the whole thing, let's look at this bit look at these things, get the information and then decide what testing do we need to do? And then where does it need to go from there? And that's, that's really what we should be doing as optometrists, you know, to the level that we're able and the level that we feel comfortable. Um, but that's kind of, that's where it all started. What are, what are common tests that you were pulling from frequently? Um, what we do normally in clinic, by the way, if somebody's coming in for a neuro-ophthalmology exam or to be seen by a neuro-ophthalmologist, there's something going on with the eyes. What do we deal with the eyes, right? Or they're trying to rule out that something's going on with the eyes. So I utilize Humphrey visual fields, um, my OCT, I utilize color vision. I utilize my slit lamp and dilation and I utilize prisms and guess what we all know how to do. All those of those four things. Yeah. Five things, four things. Yeah. Um, so, so when I think of neuro, the thing I think so often is, uh, is, is doing an MRI or a CT at what point in this neuro process after you've seen a patient, are you like, okay, we need to now go and do more advanced testing. At what point are you like, okay, things need to go to the next level. Because all those things that you mentioned, those four things, we, we all have them. You're right. Right. So, you know, maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we're referring a little bit sooner than we should. Yeah. So at what point am I now saying, okay, I need to head that patient off for some other testing. And I know yeah. we're trying to cover, you know, a lot in a very simple question. But I, I think that is a good question, right? When do you take that next that next step? When do you pull the trigger to order more testing? And if, especially if they haven't had it before and it, they've not seen a neurologist. So say you have a patient who comes in, increase in headaches, um, they're 26-year-old female who has polycystic ovarian. We look at the, uh, the nerve and say, hey, that looks swollen. We don't necessarily see anything on visual field, but we do see that the OCT is showing that they do in fact have a swollen optic nerve. Um, That is a risk for uh, pseudopapilledema or for IIH, idiopathic intracranial hypertension, the one we used to call pseudotumor. Um, That's a person we're going to say, hey, the next step is to go ahead and get you an MRI and get you sent in to see neurology. Now, again, if you don't have any visual field defects, and this is not something that is progressing over days um, to weeks, 
it could wait. Maybe you send it to a neurologist and have them order the MRI, but there's no reason you couldn't also send that patient then, right? Mm-hmm. Now say this is, and when I say MRI for us, we're typically ordering, if you get one test and insurance is you get one test, get an MRI with and without contrast of the head. What's in the head? The orbits. So it's not as specific and they may have to go back for a second test, but if you only get one, do the MRI with and without of the head. Um, now say it's a different patient, someone who's more of an urgent or emergent, they've had declining vision, pain on eye movement, that visual field is showing damage and we're seeing constricted visual field. That's someone you're going to send now to probably go get an MRI. And obviously, as we talked about this, there's a lot of things that go into this, but that is someone that I wouldn't wait. I would send for an MRI or, you know, that might be, you know, we're all kind of ringing in our head. Maybe that's optic neuritis and that's someone maybe we need to send to an ER. Um, You're sending somebody to an ER, make sure you're sending them to an ER in your area that has an ophthalmologist on staff. And that's not all because it's, I mean, in Virginia, I had one. In Colorado, I have almost everybody has someone who they can call, which is nice, but that's not always the case. Yeah. But just sending them over to the ER without them having the tools to what to do next year, they'd be, they'd be better with you making phone calls around the, around the area and getting it in. Okay. So, so let's say we've sent somebody in for an MRI and I think the, the, the thing we're, we're usually worse, worst case scenario, what we really get worried about is does this patient have a tumor, right? Is there something somewhere in the, in the process of the system where there's a tumor? I just need you to talk me off the ledge because I'm freaked out about these tumors. Tell me how to take a breath, get rid of my sweaty palms. How am I dealing with these patients? You know, who do I send them to? When do I watch it? You know, let's talk about tumors. Let's talk about the tumors. So with with tumors or masses, um, most of the time those patients are going to have slow growing problems, right? It's not the immediate awful things, right? But when it comes back, that's that's a pretty hard news to deliver to the patient, right? So one, we gotta internally, you know, do the wusa, calm, you know, calm all ourselves down because we need to be ready for the patient. But then we need to think about what's the next step. Yeah. And the next step is getting them to a neurosurgeon. You don't want to send them to a neurologist. You don't want to send them to neuro-ophthalmology. You need to send them to a neurosurgeon because that's the person who's going to decide whether or not surgery needs to happen. If it's a pituitary tumor, um, tumor mass or whatever, then they have to decide multiple things. Um, whether or not is this affecting the patient? Is this uh, affecting their endocrine? So there are you know, endocrinology issues. So they'll actually send them there for, for blood work and everything. But the best thing you can do is just get them to a neurosurgeon and say, they're going to look at this, decide, is this something that needs to be operated on or radiation, or are they going to leave it? A lot of times they actually don't do anything. They watch it because the brain is a really important thing, right? And it's really difficult to do surgery in there because it's it's um, it's so compact. And if they are in a compact area, there's a lot of surrounding things um, that are there that could be affected as well. So they surgery typically- could be worse, right? Surgery could cause more problems, right? So 
let the patient know you're going to get them where they need to be so that they can decide what the best trade of, um, course of action is. Yeah, you know, I think I think what is really helpful about what you just said is when I think about getting one of my patients into a, a neuro ophthalmologist. Um, you know, I know I know who they are. They know my name, and you know, I've talked to them on the phone because most of the patients I refer, they want to talk to me on the phone before they see the patient. Um, because they're just so backed up. And uh, I think this is really good um, of we now need to be in connection with neurosurgeons, not just thinking about pumping these people off to the neuro ophthalmologist. And yeah. it may be that if we're suspecting an MRI, or suspecting a tumor that we can go and get that MRI, we can get that read. And then if it is, then we're able to more quickly get that patient because it may be that that patient ends up, you know, five months from now seeing neural ophthalmology. And that's the five months that we could have been moving this along a little bit more quickly. Yeah. Is that what your experience has been? Yeah, it has. Um, and it's even if I call and say, Hey, this patient has something, sometimes it's still three, six months before they can even get into neuro op. So it's, yeah, we just can do so much for our patients just by kind of navigating around that and getting them to the person they need to by ordering things that we can absolutely do. Even if we don't know how to read it, we know how to order it and we can read the reports and we can get them where they need to go. Yeah. What would be what would be some instances where um, where you're going to talk with the patient about the tumor and 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 how are you going to talk to those patients about the tumors that they have and prepare them for the next step? Walk us through some of that conversations of breaking that to the patient um, using maybe some of the examples that you've had with your patients. Yeah, um, I can think of a couple. I can think of a few. Um, one in particular, I had a young 20 ish year old, uh, male who was in my office who had had, you know, increasing headaches, vision was slightly blurred and his MRI is his, um, long story short, his MRI showed that he had about a baseball size tumor in his frontal lobe. And so this was, this was super concerning and it was he and his wife. I have to balance between giving this, you know, if I can, I try to always do this in person to give them the results. And usually I'll say, Hey, I'm bringing you back to go over the results. And we're also going to just do get updated testing because typically it takes about a week or so. Um, and so in this case, he and his wife were there and I was like, okay, so got the MRI back. What we're seeing is that I can answer what's causing the problem. Um, yeah, it was pretty big. Um, and unfortunately, it is, you know, a tumor. Now, we don't know that this is good or bad, right, as far as is it malignant or benign. Um, and I try to let them know when I when we use words like malignant and benign, um, they don't always know what that means. Sure. So we want to let them know, hey, this, this could be something that's isolated and only there or this could be something that we have to look elsewhere. Typically though, if there's something in the brain, it's usually, it's usually just in that area and it's not anywhere else in your body. But what we need to do next is we need to get you to um, the correct people so that they can really start delving into the diagnosis, figuring out what we're looking at as far as, you know, treatment and um, what that looks like long-term. Mm -hmm. um, 
thankfully where it is, I don't think it's going to have long-term damage to your vision, but I don't know until I hear from them. Because that's usually the question I get is, what does this mean for my vision, especially if it's already been affecting it? Um, so that one was definitely, he ended up okay. I was really concerned in all honesty, because when things are in the frontal load, that's kind of our personality. And so he actually came out fine. It wasn't malignant. It was nowhere else in his body. So he was doing good. Um, another patient of mine was a 76 year old female. This one was, was kind of interesting because she came in with a six nerve palsy. So she came in diplopia. I, you know, she's like, I can't see. And I'm like, that's interesting. And so as we're going through all of this, you know, I'm like, she's not diabetic. She's not got high blood pressure. Everything else is healthy. Spidey senses went, I don't like this because normally the most common causes of palsies are your blood pressure or blood sugar, right? Um, Vascular issues. And so she had a history of lung cancer and had had a scan um, four months prior to seeing me of her head and everything was fine, but something didn't seem right to me. So I actually sent her out for an MRI and it turned out she had metastasis to the brain and there was multiple lesions. Yeah, it was. So that one was a little harder to, to let her know because I knew because there was more than one area within the brain that it, it was probably not great. Um, but again, sitting her down, Miss Jones, Okay. So we got the scans back and we are seeing that there are a few lesions, um, within the brain. We don't know exactly what they are. Unfortunately, because of your history with lung cancer and breast cancer, there might be the chance that this is a metastasis, meaning it's spread. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to get you back immediately to your doctor so we can get this going, uh, you know, get the treatment figured out and go from there. Again, thankfully, she started. She went back on chemo radiation, and tumor shrank. Cranial oh, wow. nerve. Yeah. She actually ended. Up, yeah, she ended up doing really well. Um, so, but yeah, they're really difficult conversations to have. Certainly. Uh, the thing you can do, like I said, is just kind of take a deep breath for yourself because it's going to be. You need to be stable for your patient, and then just be armed with what's next and what does this mean for my vision? And you can say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's okay. an important one for us to to be okay with, right? And and also sharing with them that you'll help quarterback the plan and that, that you know, it, you'll be in communication. And if there's anything they need from you, those yeah. are, I think, the helpful things that we can be a part of this. I think the 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 good takeaways from this is is with those patients that visual field OCT color vision prism we can rule some things out leading us to maybe then go and do those additional scans on our own as opposed to just always having to kick them off it comes back say as a tumor um, if that is the case, then knowing that we can circumvent maybe the neuro ophthalmologist if there is a big lag time, or maybe give them a call and just say this is what's going on, and maybe just get them to neurosurgery and have them help work through those. That's kind of a, a, a consensus of a real quick synopsis of what you said. Yeah, that's, but that's yeah. really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, that's what I want is I want everybody to to know that I didn't know what I was doing at one point either, and it's okay. We learn. Um, I get texts every day about, Hey, what should I do with this from previous residents and friends? And that's okay. We can ask each other. We can say, I don't know. And can someone give me information? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for hanging out with us on the OI show and, uh, for sharing your knowledge of Tumas. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
Absolutely. And thank you for joining us for this episode. Make sure to like and subscribe and stay tuned for additional episodes of the OI show. Thank you.